Church, today we're going to focus on a topic that really is the heart of what we do and who we are as Boynton Beach Community Church. This topic has been a catalyst for dramatically changing the lives of people for thousands of years. This topic involves a process that restores hope, that heals relationships, that heals marriages, that breaks addictions, that gives people meaning and purpose and direction. Today we're going to consider the life-changing topic of discipleship. And let me give you a working definition of discipleship. This is on your outline. Discipleship is the process of becoming more like Christ. The process of becoming more like Christ. Today we're continuing our series called People of Purpose. And we've seen that we're not here by accident. God made us on purpose. And we're working our way through five distinct purposes that God has for each of our lives. A few weeks ago, we talked about the purpose of worship. That God made us because he loves us, he wants us to love him back, and expressing our love to God is worship. And then last week, we talked about fellowship, the fact that we've been formed for God's family. That God wants us, as his sons and daughters, to really share our lives with each other. Well, today, our topic is discipleship. This idea that we have been created to be like Christ. Now in the Bible, the followers of Jesus were called disciples. That's where the word discipleship comes from. And a disciple is a student, somebody who's devoted to a teacher and wants to learn all that they can. And that was certainly true of the relationship that Jesus had with his followers. They decided to follow Jesus and learn from Jesus. In fact, when Jesus called people to follow him, they left their homes, they left their families, they left their businesses, some of them sold everything they had to follow Jesus, and they did it with great joy. Now, why did they do that? Because Jesus came as a king, and he was establishing a kingdom, and he said that an entirely different kind of life is possible when you allow me to rule in your heart and embrace me as your king. And in the Bible, we read about these disciples who took Jesus up on this offer and followed him, and they did remarkable things. They were bold witnesses for Jesus. They took the risk of carrying out his mission, which was to make more disciples. Some of them laid down their lives for Jesus. And there's a word that is sometimes used to describe these disciples in the first century. That word is radical. Now, the word radical often has a negative connotation in our culture. We think of people who have extreme views when it comes to politics or religion or issues of social justice, and we call them what? We call them radicals, but the original meaning of radical comes from a Latin word, the word radix, which means root. Now think about a plant, think about a tree. The root is really the foundation of that tree or that plant, isn't it? The root structure is, is fundamental. Everything is organized in relationship to the roots of the plant. In fact, where does the nourishment and life to the plant come from? It comes through the roots. <clears throat> and a plant can withstand just about anything as long as those roots are intact. And that really is such a good picture of the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with his disciples. Because Jesus wants to be the foundation of our lives as his disciples. He wants to be the fundamental structure that our life is built around with Jesus at the center. Jesus wants to be the, the source of life and wisdom and strength for a disciple. And think about this, when storms come into your life, who's the one who gives you stability? It's Jesus. He is the root of our lives. And as we look at this word radical, 
as we think about the fact that the original meaning really describes the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us, there's a question that I want to ask you to consider this morning. And it's a very important question. How radical is your relationship with Jesus? How much is he really the foundation of your life? How much is your life organized around the person of Jesus Christ? How much is he really the source of your wisdom and strength? Now, this morning, if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you're here checking out Christianity. I'm so glad you're here because I hope this message will help you understand very clearly what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's go back to this working definition of discipleship. Discipleship is the process of becoming more like Christ. Now, if God created us to become more like Christ, what does it take to become the person God created you to be? To be the mom, to be the dad, the husband, the father, the friend, the brother, the sister. What does it take to become the person that God created you to be? And I believe there's one word that answers that question. It takes change. Pastor John Ortberg wrote an entire book about this process of becoming more like Jesus. And he said this about change. He said, the possibility of transformation is the essence of hope. Think about that. The possibility that we could really change, the possibility that the people we love can really change is what gives us hope in this world. So how does this process of transformation, this process of change happen? Well, we could take hours, days, weeks to talk about this, but there are two tools that I want to describe this morning. Tools that God uses to change us so that we become better and better disciples. And the first tool is this, truth. God uses truth to make us more like Jesus. Now here's a key principle when it comes to change. Transformation occurs when you replace the lies of the world with God's truth. And that's why Jesus prayed this for his disciples. Now this is right before Jesus goes to the cross. He says, Father, sanctify them, change them by the truth. Your word is truth. So often we can underestimate the power of God's word. But when God speaks, things happen. Think about the opening story in the Bible. God speaks the universe into existence. We wouldn't be here this morning apart from the word of God. And God's word is also communicated in written form in this book that we call the Bible. Friends, the words in this book are incredibly powerful. The words in this book create new spiritual life. They, they produce faith. They heal hurts. They do break addictions. They do heal marriages and restore relationships and bring hope. And they change us from the inside out. Listen, you can't experience the change that God wants you to have apart from the truth found in his word. That's why Jesus said, if you are truly my disciple, you will hold to my teaching. One translation says, if you are truly my disciple, you will abide in my word. And look at these verses from the book of Acts. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified, those who are being changed. The word sanctification is simply the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, for God's word to do its work of changing us, this is what must happen. And this is on your outline. We must accept the authority of God's word. This changes what we believe. As we really accept the authority of God's word, it changes what we believe. I'm convinced that many of the problems we have in life 
are because we make choices based on authorities other than God's word. For example, we can make choices based on culture. How many of you, how many of you have parents have ever heard your kids say, well, everybody else is doing it. We can make choices based on what everybody else is doing. We can make choices based on tradition. That's the way we've always done it around here. We can make choices that are based on emotion. You know, it just feels so right. Or we can make choices based on reason. Well, you know what? This is the logical thing to do. The church, here's the question we should be asking. Is it biblical? Is this choice consistent with God's truth revealed in God's word? Because if we really want to change, we have to accept the authority of God's word. We have to decide to believe that what God says is true. Look at this next verse about change. Let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Let me give you a, a brief example of how this works. I was talking with someone the other day about the news, and this person made the observation that it is really easy to become fearful. And that's true, isn't it? You think about all the uh, political division in our country right now, disputes about, about everything, immigration, health care, sanctuary cities, um, social justice, and the list could go on and on. The message of our culture is be afraid. But the message of God's word is fear not. In fact, that is the most repeated command in the entire Bible, fear not. And so the question is, as we... As we have all these things coming at us day after day, how is it possible to overcome fear, to overcome anxiety? Well, it starts with what you believe. One of the passages in the Bible that describes God's care for us is Psalm 23. Some of you are familiar with that passage of Scripture. It's often called the shepherd's psalm. King David was a shepherd, and he begins this way, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. I was thinking about the story that Mike Scott shared about the, the man in Honduras. Jesus is my shepherd. I have everything I need. And the psalm goes on to say this. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, did you know that a sheep will not put down its woolly little head unless two things happen? One, it has to be fed. Sheep won't lie down if they're hungry. And they won't lie down if they're afraid. They have to feel safe. And isn't that true of us? The Bible says we're like sheep. And we just can't find rest for our hearts and rest for our souls unless we know we have a shepherd who really cares for us, a shepherd who is willing to provide everything we need to accomplish his purpose for our lives. Yesterday was Saturday. We had our men's group, and Pastor Phil did a, just an outstanding job walking us through this idea of how we respond to fear. And we break into small groups, and guys were being honest about things they're afraid of. And we talked about the fear of losing your job, and the fear of losing your income, and the fear of losing your health, the fear of losing your family, the fear of losing your faith. All these fears that we deal with day in and day out. And the question was, well, what do we do to, to overcome these fears? What we do is believe that what God says is true. That God really cares about us. That God is really in charge of everything that happens in our lives. We need to believe the words of Jesus. One of his sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, talks a lot about anxiety. And Jesus says this, hey, look at the birds. I want you to do that when you leave here, on your way home, because there's birds everywhere. Look at the birds. Um, you know, your Heavenly Father takes care of the birds. Aren't you much more valuable than they are? And Jesus is saying, look, God's going to take care of you because you matter to him. But, but church, here's the deal. 
we have to not only believe the words of Jesus, throughout the day we have to remember the words of Jesus. And that's what this verse is telling us. Look at this. Remember what Christ taught. Sometimes we need to remember that every hour. Remember what Christ taught and let his words enrich your lives and make you what? Make you what, church? Who wants to be wiser? I hope you all do. So how do you become a really wise person? You have to believe what God says, but does it stop there? Oh, no. You have to do what God says. And that brings us to this other principle of discipleship. Take a look at your outline. We must apply the principles of God's word. This changes how we behave. The things that you believe are going to impact the way that you behave in your life. And look at these two quotes from Jesus. Look at this one. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you talk about them in church on Sunday morning. What does it say? Blessed if you, yeah, do them. If you do them. And here's another statement from Jesus. It comes from the Sermon on the Mount. It says this. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man, a wise woman who built their house on the rock. Listen, in order to change, in order to become wiser, in order to become better disciples of Jesus, we have to hear God's truth, we have to accept God's truth, and then we have to apply God's truth. And one of the places that we need to apply God's truth the most is in our relationships with each other. Last week we talked about fellowship. So what does that look like? Well, imagine this. Imagine you're a guy sitting here this morning, and you're listening to this message, and you say to yourself, you know... I really, I really do want to be a better disciple. I want to be a better follower of Jesus. And so I, I heard what Pastor Dudley said, and, and he was making it clear that I've really got to get into this book, and God's going to you know, speak truth to me, and I'm, I'm just going to dive in. So you start reading the Bible, and you come to this verse. It's in the book of Galatians. It says, carry each other's troubles and problems. And you're thinking, man, that's true. I really I need to do that. And then you realize that so often you go through the day, and you're just kind of wrapped up in your own stuff, your own little world, and often you walk by people, and you're not even aware of their troubles and problems. And so you say, you know, God, I really, I want to learn how to apply this in my life. And just that moment, your wife comes in the front door. And you can tell by the look on her face that she's troubled. She's got a problem. And you think, wow, here's my chance. And you're starting to get excited, and you go to your wife and you say, honey, come over here and sit on the couch. I can tell that something's wrong just by the look on your face. So Here's what I want you to do. I want you to talk to me. And listen, I promise I'm not going to try to fix it. I'm not going to try to tell you what to do. I'm just going to try to listen and understand how you feel. And after your wife gets up off the floor, she comes over and she sits next to you and she starts to talk and you really start to listen. And as you listen to her pour out her heart, something inside you starts to change. And you realize that, you know what? I am really able to set aside what I'm thinking about, I'm able to set aside what I need and try to understand and figure out what my wife needs. And you sense that God is actually changing your heart. And friends, that's exactly how it happens. We have to believe that what God says is true and then we have to put it into practice. Now, when you do something over and over again, what's it called? It starts with the letter H. It's a habit. And the process of discipleship is built on habits that we build into our lives. You know, God says, hey, there's a lot of good habits like pray. It's a good habit. You know, serve, worship, give. Those are good habits. And the more we incorporate those habits into our lives, the deeper our relationship with Jesus grows. And listen, 
the deeper your relationship with Jesus, the more the number one goal of your life is something that's, I want to please Jesus. I love him that much. And friends, this is what becomes the pathway to change. Because when you have that growing relationship with Jesus, he gives you the desire and the ability to honor him by doing what he says. Now, I want you to think about this. If you're a Christian this morning, what is your plan to grow spiritually? What are you going to be doing in 2017 to become a better disciple of Jesus Christ? And here's why that question is so important. It won't happen all by itself. You have to be intentional about growing as a disciple. Now, I want you to be clear on this. Our relationship with God is based on grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You cannot earn a relationship with God, no matter how good you are. You don't deserve it. None of us do. It's by grace. But when you cross the line of faith, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible is emphatically clear. It says, and this phrase is used over and over again, make every effort. There's God's part and there's our part. And when you're a disciple, you have to make an effort to become a better and better disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, we want to do this. As a church, we want to help you with a plan to grow as a disciple. And so I've asked Pastor Phil to come up just for a couple of minutes. And just as a reminder, um, Phil is our pastor of discipleship. And he's going to share with you uh, a plan that we're developing to help you grow as a disciple of Jesus. Phil? So over the last few months, we have been asking this question, uh, how can we kind of put a process, create a process, a plan to help us all um, grow, move forward in our spiritual lives, move forward and grow in discipleship. Uh, baseball is my favorite sport, so I want you to kind of use this mental image for this. This is kind of what we've been going with. Uh, if you look at a base path, right, and see the home plate, first base, second base, third base, and around back to home, uh, this is kind of the pattern of discipleship that we want to put in place for all of us. And this is, for those of you who may be um, still uh, kind of processing what it means to be a Christian or to follow Jesus, uh, or if you have grown up in the church, if you've been here at this church for a very long time, if you've kind of always known what faith in Jesus is about, somewhere in this process there is a place for all of us to jump in this year and say, how can I be growing? How can I be moving forward in my relationship with Christ? And so the first base, the first pattern as we're going forward together is membership. All right, it's this opportunity for those of us who have not yet taken that step to commit to one another in membership, to commit to this church, to really fully grasp what it means to uh, be part of a local church and how beneficial that is to our spiritual lives. And we're going to have our first membership seminar February 18th, two Saturdays from now, from 8.45 to 11. But for some of you, maybe you've been here a while and you haven't yet taken that step in membership, we want to encourage you to see that as your first opportunity to grow in discipleship this year. And then as we round first base towards second base, uh, maturity. Maturity, as we grow together, as Pastor Dudley has just been talking about spiritual habits, what does it mean to learn how to pray? Uh, what does it mean to really understand what, it, uh, what giving is about, what fasting is about, what these practices of the Christian faith are all meant to be and their place in my life? Uh, on March 18th, Saturday morning, we're going to have a seminar focused on uh, spiritual habits. How do we incorporate these things in our lives? And perhaps that's the place where God may be pushing you to move forward this year. As we turn second and head towards, towards third, uh, that's what we see ministry, 
ministry and service, that all of us have been given gifts and talents, and we're still trying to find the ways where our gifts and talents can have an outlet for ministry, either in this church, in our local community, or as we even heard from Mike and Gail this morning, opportunities in the world to use our gifts and talents, to serve, to be ministers of the gospel here. And so uh, on April 22nd, we're going to have a seminar devoted to ministry and service, have a conversation about how we can be encouraging each other forward in that area. And as we make our way around third towards home, home is mission. That all of us, not only are we called to be disciples, but we're called to be disciple makers. That as you follow Jesus, your life is now taking on a meaning that begins to impact the people around you. And that seminar on May 20th, Saturday morning, is going to be focused on mission and evangelism. How can we be training each other up to be effective in evangelism, to be effective in our relationships, that others can become disciples? Um, And so wherever you may be, however long you've been here, there is a place for you in these next few months to really dive in and consider how discipleship, growing in your relationship with Christ is going to take the next step. Some of you maybe have been serving here for a very long time. You're a regular volunteer. Uh, You give a lot of time and effort here to this church, but you haven't become a member yet, right? That process we haven't done yet. And so we want to really encourage you, invite you to kind of circle back around the bases, if you will, and go through that process because that's an important process not just for our church family, but for you individually to know what it is truly to be part of a local church and to give of your time, your talents, and your resources. So wherever you are, there's a place for all of us to journey forward together, and we're excited about that. So if you have questions about that, you can come talk to me. Um, We're going to be, you know, highlighting those things as they come sooner. But that first one, next Saturday, the 18th, our membership seminar, we would love to see a great group, a large group of people uh, see that as important and jump in as the first step in this new year. Okay? Thanks. Thanks, Pastor Phil. Okay, quick review. The first tool God uses to change us is what? Starts with the letter T. Truth, very good. The second tool also starts with the letter T, trouble. God uses trouble to make us more like Jesus. There's a book called Soul Keeping, and the author makes this observation. He says, if you ask people who don't believe in God, hey, why don't you believe in God? The number one answer that you'll get is this, suffering. I just don't understand why there's so much suffering in the world. Now, on the other hand, if you ask somebody who's a Christian, What is it that has enabled you to grow closer to Jesus and become more like him than anything else? You know what answer you're going to get? Suffering. Personal suffering. Now, I want you to take a look at this verse from the book of Romans. It says this, We know that these troubles produce patience, and patience produces what? Character. The suffering that God allows to come into the lives of his kids is intended by God to develop our character. There's a movie that I saw a number of years ago. It's called Amazing Grace, and it tells the story of William Wilberforce, the man who spent his entire life trying to abolish the British slave trade back in the 18th and 19th century. During his crusade to end slavery, he developed a friendship with John Newton, the man who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. 
And Newton, as some of you know, had been the captain of a slave ship, and he became a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And he left that life, and for the last 40 years of his life, he was a pastor. At the age of 82, Newton said this, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. John Newton was a man transformed by grace, a man whose life was changed at the intersection of truth and trouble. And this is what is written on his tombstone. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Friends, there's something that John Newton learned by personal experience, and it's this principle that's on your outline, that God has a purpose for every problem. And that purpose is to develop our character and to make us more like Jesus. Look at this Bible verse. Exactly two verses. It starts with Romans 8.28. For we know that God causes how much? Everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And check out what follows. For God knew his people in advance. He knew each one of us in advance. And he chose us to become like his son Jesus. Now, when trouble pours into your life, how should you respond to it? Well, take a look at your outline. Here's one of the ways that we can respond to trouble. Trouble is an opportunity to depend on God. An opportunity to depend on God. You know, God could have intervened so often in the Bible when people are going through a really tough time. I mean, he could have kept Daniel out of the lion's den. He could have kept Joseph out of jail. He could have kept the Apostle Paul, a disciple in the first century, from being shipwrecked and and beaten and, and stoned and left for dead. But God didn't do that. He allowed them to suffer hardship because he had a purpose. And the Apostle Paul actually wrote this. These are such powerful words. He says this, We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. And then notice what he says next. But that was good. Paul, how could that possibly be good? He goes on to say, For then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us. What do you do when life is starting to unravel, when trouble pours into your life? You put yourself in the hands of God. And here's something else we can do. It's simply this. Stay focused on God's plan rather than on your pain. Trouble will come into your life. And you will get to choose how you're going to respond to it. And that's very important because sometimes we respond to trouble in such a way that we become bitter and angry and resentful. But God wants us to respond to trouble in an entirely different way so that we become more like Jesus, so that we become a better disciple. And what we need to do is to focus not just on what's happening now, but how God's going to use that down the road. I've observed this so many times that when you're going through a really difficult situation, that there is going to be an opportunity down the road to encounter somebody who's been through exactly what you have so that you can encourage them and help them to understand that God is still with them. Look at these verses. If we share his glory, speaking about the glory of Jesus, we must also share his suffering. What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us when? Later. Look at this statement. Be thankful that God will use your pain to accomplish his purpose. 
Now, this is very important. When you're going through a tough time, God says, I want you to be thankful. In fact, the Bible is so clear about this. Look at this verse. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will. This is what God wants you to do in Christ Jesus. Now, I don't believe that God expects us to be thankful for suffering and for tragedy and for heartache. But I do believe this. He wants us to be thankful in those circumstances because of what he can do through those circumstances. And so the question is this, you know, if you're really going through a tough time in your life, what can you be thankful for? And I know this from personal experience, one of the things that I can always thank God for is simply this, that I'm not alone. That God has promised to be with me. If you're a Christian this morning and your life is really hard, just say, God, thanks for being with me. Thank you that you've promised that you will never leave me or forsake me. God, thank you that you're for me. God, thank you that you are the sovereign sentinel who stands guard at the gate of my life and only allows in the things that you can use for your glory and for my eventual good. And friends, if we ever start to doubt that, we need to go back to the cross because we see that in the life of Jesus Christ. You think about those, those three days of history, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And on Friday, it looked like the story of Jesus Christ had come to an end, that his mission was an, a complete failure. But three days later, God raised his son from the dead to prove that he is in charge of this world and he's in charge of our lives. And church, this morning we have this, this opportunity as we gather together to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, to remember that God allowed trouble to pour into the life of his son, but he used that trouble not only for his glory, but for our eventual good. And he can do the same thing in your life and mine. And so this morning, I want to do this as we prepare our hearts for communion. I want to read these words that Paul, a follower of Jesus, wrote in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. You ought to examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord, eats and drinks judgment on himself. And again, church, I'm, I'm so thankful that Paul tells us to take an inward look at our heart and to ask the question, am I a disciple of Jesus Christ? Have I decided to follow him? And I was sharing with someone this week what it actually means to be a Christian, and I was talking about um, how I often explain the gospel to, to kids, and I love to do that. And I talk about the ABCs, that A is, will you admit that you're a sinner? And you ask God to forgive you. And, and really, that's the heart of the bad news, isn't it? That we're sinners, that we don't have any hope apart from Jesus, because what we deserve for our sin is to die and be separated from God forever, because God's holy and God's just. But here's the, the B, is believe that Jesus died for your sins. Because that's what happens. Jesus comes to our world, lays down his life on a cross. On the cross, God's willing to put our sin on Jesus and punish him in our place. So if you want to follow Jesus, you have to admit that you're a sinner but you also have to admit that you need a savior. You believe that Jesus died and rose again, and the C is simply choose. Choose to follow Jesus. 
Choose to accept his leadership in your life. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so this morning, we're here to celebrate the fact that Jesus has called us to be his disciples. And with that in mind, church, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your truth that changes us, that changes everything. And Lord, I pray this morning for the person who, who may be here and for the first time, this idea that they need to come to you and, and believe. Believe that they're a sinner. Ask for forgiveness. Turn from their sin and, and choose to follow Jesus. And God, I just want to give that person an opportunity right now to make the most important decision of their life, to become a Christian. And Lord, um, you know that whenever we pray this, this kind of prayer, it's not the exact words, it's the intent of our heart, but when we pray this prayer, Lord, you run to meet us. And so if you're here this morning and you want to become a follower of Jesus, you can just pray this in your own words, in your heart. You can say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died for me for my failure and sin and that you raised him to life. And God, today, I, I don't understand all this stuff about Christianity, but I want to choose to follow Jesus. I want to accept him as my Savior and my Lord, the one who leads my life. God, I thank you that that invitation to follow Jesus is still standing. And God, for those of us who have made that choice to follow Jesus, would you do this? God, as we come to this, this time of, of remembrance, this time of celebration, would you please point out anything in our heart that is a barrier in our relationship with you? God, if there's sin in our heart, would you please show that to us now so that we can confess it and turn away from it? God, thank you that in Jesus there is forgiveness and there is freedom and there is a new life. And God, as we come to remember the sacrifice, the grace, the love of our Savior, please draw our hearts close to yours. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.